Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I am today with Stephen Herman. Stephen Herman's writing is recognized nationally and internationally. He has published over 30 papers and two books, meaning three books or four books. I'll ask him about it when I finish this intro. William Everson the Shaman's Call, Walt Whitman, Shamanism, Spiritual Democracy, and the World Soul. He has taught on the subjects of Whitman and Melville at the C.G. Jung Institute of San Francisco, Chicago, and Zurich, as well as the Washington Friends of Walt Whitman, UC Berkeley, and UC Santa Cruz. Herman's expertise in Jungian literary criticism makes him one of the seminal thinkers in the international field and foremost authority on Whitman and Melville in post-Jungian studies. Herman, a poet and Jungian psychotherapist, has a clinical practice in Oakland, California. Welcome, welcome, Stephen. Please tell us about your books. Thank you, Joanna. It's a pleasure to be speaking about uh, my books. I first published my book on William Everson in 2009, and it was a collection of conversations that I had with a California poet from Santa Cruz. I worked at UC Santa Cruz as Bill Everson's teaching assistant in a course called Birth of a Poet, which he taught after he left the Dominican Order, the Dominican Priory here in Oakland, California, uh, where he served for 18 years as a lay monk. He left the order to marry and become a father and began teaching courses uh, for 10 years uh, at UC Santa Cruz, and I had the very good uh, fortune to have been his teaching assistant for five quarters there. And my, my function there, my role was to teach the theories of dream interpretation as taught by Carl Jung. And the subject of the course, uh, the, the goal was to try and confirm your vocation through your dream life. So the conversations have uh, much to do with this subject of uh, a calling, a vocation from the inner voice uh, of the self. And I mean that in a big S way, the self in a transpersonal uh, way as Mm -hmm. uh, taught in Vedanta or in Christian mysticism where they speak of the the Christ with a capital C or um, in Sufism of the beloved. It's that idea that within us there is this archetype of order. Jung called it the self, using uh, a term from uh, the Hindu Vedas. And Everson... uh, had been uh, a student of uh, Victor White, who was a good friend of Carl Jung's in the religious order, and um, 
he had some spiritual counseling from uh, Victor White in the order, and so I had some spiritual counseling of my own from Everson, and he, he confirmed my vocation uh, in my dream life to be a Jungian analyst, which I've just become de- December 15th of this year, uh, 2018, actually last year now. Mm-hmm. So in a way, uh, it's been a long journey, and uh, it's uh, almost 40 years of uh of reading and teaching Jung, and also this subject uh, of the um, conversations was shamanism in American poetry, because Everson was a poet, and he had read Whitman, and he had read Robinson Jeffers, and was actually a, a follower of Jeffers. Jeffers was his master, Jeffers being the great California poet here who lived in Carmel, and Everson, when he left the order, took off his religious regalia as a Christian Dominican monk and sought a, a new dress to put on. And what he put on was the uh, indigenous uh, uh, outfit of a, a Latter-day shaman, you could say. He he uh, got some uh, a buckskin vest and bear claw necklace and really assumed the form of a, a, a Western poet shaman, as I call him mm-hmm. in my book, and as he, he, he called himself. Um, so I look at the American poets in my uh, work as poet shamans, mainly Walt Whitman, uh, Herman Melville, and Emily Dickinson. Uh, but that's where it all started, Joanna, in my work with William Everson uh, down at UC Santa Cruz. There's a theme that, um, one of the themes that uh, touches me in your book is that you speak of Whitman as being in love with America. And um, and as you, you I want to point out, you don't say in love with being American, you say in love with America. And um, it brought me back to uh, my time with Timothy Leary, um, the many times where I realized that Timothy Leary was an American. Timothy Leary was in love with America. When he had escaped from prison and was living in Europe, which is when I met him, he missed America. And, And so... I wanted to ask you, uh, are you in love with America? And, and yeah, and is it, is it a theme that we can pick up, especially at this time? That, that's, that's really a, a, a wonderful way into uh, looking at Whitman uh, as being in love with America. Whitman was in love with America. Uh, Whitman felt he was America. He said he was large uh, and contained multitudes. Um, Whitman, you could say, was the voice of America speaking. Uh, he, um, He didn't identify with being an American. That's a good point because his identity was really more transnational like Timothy Leary in Europe, yeah, as you're yeah. saying, I think what he was in love with was the, the earth. 
Right. With the soil of America, with the with the the people, uh, the American people, and democracy as a uh, in its third highest uh, evolution from political and economic democracy to this religious or spiritual democracy. He really believed in the spirit of America to evolve itself over time. And of course, he was so far ahead of his times that we're just beginning to to see really where the future of America may lie. And maybe you could say more about Timothy Leary. I think that's a very interesting connection because of his historical place in America in, in, the, in the 60s. Yes, yes, I would love to do that. However, at this instant, I'd like to walk with you a little Mm -hmm. deeper in this because something that occurred to me while I was reading your book, Spiritual Democracy, was the the maturing of America and, and Americans is completely intertwined with religion. Uh, And this moment is so crucial. I mean... Oh, it really is. Um, I I don't even know how to formulate the question, but I thought it was something Mm -hmm. I could come to you with because... Well, well, perhaps I can can offer uh, a way into this uh, walk we're taking now in the woods, and that's to to bring in William James, because it was really William James who, for the first time in uh, modern psychology, formed a, a concept for spiritual democracy through what he called the variety of religious experiences. Right. And I think that's what Timothy Leary was trying to open up for the American collectivity in the 60s, was this yes. way into experience, because, of course, you know, for James... Feeling, religious feeling was the most important criteria of one's subjective destiny. And if one could get in touch with that feeling, and, and certainly we, we feel it when we're in nature, when we're walking amongst the redwoods, there's something very transcendent that can break through in moments, uh, mystical moments of seeing. And I think that's really what Whitman was trying to do before James, and of course, uh, James's godfather uh, was Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was also a Whitman's master. Um, so this Emersonian transcendentalism got into Whitman, got into his soul, and I think it was that spirit of America that he identified with the most was that that movement towards. A, a transcendent religious experience that he wanted to convey to to the American people through the majesty of his voice. And, and James picks this up, of course, and, and really runs with it for modern psychology. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get Aldous Huxley, who wrote The Doors of Perception. And uh, based on a, a poem by William Blake, uh, and, and then, you know, you get, uh, you get this whole opening in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s of this, uh, really what became a New Age movement, although 
that's not the direction James and Jung had right. in mind for it. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the, the danger is, is, is the danger is to uh, bypass to do a spiritual bypass exactly. of what Jung called the shadow. Yes. And that's what James cautioned about. That's what. Herman Melville had cautioned about in, in his writings, particularly Moby Dick and, and his earlier novels. So, so that, um, yeah, that's what but, comes to mind, Joanna, when you, when you mention that. And when you say that, you deepen my understanding. I often say a lot of my, a lot, uh, a certain amount of my first um, LSD experiences were horrendous. I mean, they were really, really frightening and dark. And I say uh, those experiences um, helped me as much as any ecstatic experience. Mm -hmm. so, so we're talking here about the shadow, about the darkness. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems of the time w was that uh, we had not arrived at a place where we could begin to to uh, to take within ourselves that this darkness is true and necessary, mm -hmm. and so there was no support for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and William James has a whole chapter on this called "The Religion of Healthy Mindedness in the Varieties of Religious Experience," where he says that. The systematic cultivation of this attitude of healthy mindedness excludes a vision of evil. <laughs> and of course, Jung, when he read this book, you know, he met William James in 1909, but later wrote about um, varieties in, in several of his uh, works. And that idea, I think, permeates all of Carl Jung's work. Uh, the, the importance of acknowledging the shadow uh, and evil uh, and in what we're doing to the environment, the, the destruction. Yes. And if we don't pay attention, if we don't acknowledge, uh, can't acknowledge our own shadow, he cautioned that the world itself could, you know, humanity, civilization yes. could, could destroy itself yes. Yes. with weapons of mass destruction. Crucified that on its own cross. Yes, yes, that's a that's a very important metaphor, and it appears in Jung's writings. He says that if we uh, don't each take up our own individual cross and let, allow ourselves to be crucified on it, um, then then we're in trouble. So uh, per perhaps uh, speak about our relationship with and to nature. That's really where Melville's vision came in so profoundly in, in my reading of the early American classics, um, in, in Moby Dick in particular, where the white whale becomes a symbol for nature's God itself and, and the environment, and what industry, the great... Uh, whale hunting ep expeditions in the South Pacific and other parts of the world were doing to the to the whale species, but the the whale itself becomes a symbol for nature and for what uh, 
the founding fathers uh, had called nature's God in, in the Declaration of Independence. You know, the only reference to God is to nature's God in the Declaration. So you find this idea as really? pivotal to the founding of democracy. And, um, of course, the idea of democracy itself was strongly influenced by Native American spiritual elders, per- primarily Iroquois, Iroquois. elders, yeah. uh, in the Iroquois Treaty of Peace, um, and Hiawatha played a big part in, in Jung's uh, amplifications of what he believed was the American myth, and with the hero symbol being central to uh, Native American spirituality, and what he himself encountered firsthand when he went to Taos, New Mexico, and met the, the holy man, the, the Taos holy man, mm-hmm. Mountain Lake, um, in 1925. Of course, D.H. Lawrence had been there in Taos, yes. and, and he strongly influenced the culture uh, through his writing uh, of uh, American literature and brought Whitman and Melville uh, to attention uh, national attention uh, in his work, uh, Studies in Classic American Literature. So so this idea of nature, which really goes back to indigenous roots and shamanism, uh, is very much there at the foundation uh, of the establishment of, of, of a democratic religion uh, in America, uh, which does not identify with any creed, um, mm-hmm in the Constitution. Uh, so, yes, I do think religion central uh, to yeah. to America, to the spirit of America, yeah. founding of it. and, and um, Do you think there's, uh, as I was reading your book, uh, one of the threads that uh, came to me, I, I, I think about... Um, these uh, these people who both financed uh, uh, Brexit, these these very religious Christian people who both financed Brexit and uh, and the Trump campaign, and uh, thinking in terms of extreme um, religious Christians and. And yeah. I'm wondering if the, if there's a struggle going on right now mm. between um, nature, God, God, nature, and um, and this dogma, this religious yeah. dogma. Well, I, I think that that's a very good question, and I think it it, it has a lot of relevance. Uh, to our world today, Joanna, I think I think you're putting your finger on it there. Um, I I I just this you you describe um, spiritual democracy as pretty much being in 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 communion i'd want to sound woo woo in really in communion with uh, what we are part of that also surrounds us mm-hmm. and what's inside of us yeah and uh and so i'm wondering if right now there is a 
there is a battle going on. Mm -hmm. uh, just like, you know, I didn't read the American classics because um, I, um, I was going to say I woke up in Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I went to school in Europe, uh -huh. in France, I mean. France. Yes, yes. So um, I'm not uh, I'm not versed. Uh, Moby Dick, which I'm sure everybody who listens has, uh, sounds very very uh, interesting, mm -hmm. and uh, probably can be contained in my asking you, uh, what do you think the myth of America is right now? That's a difficult question to answer because it's unclear whether there is a myth. Uh, there are many competing myths. I think that's what you are getting at. Uh -huh. And we are in the midst of a horrible battle of, of uh, the hegemony of different myths that are competing for uh, domination. In, in the American psyche and in American politics. And, and, and as Whitman pointed out, there are three levels of, of democracy. There is the economic level, which appears to be very dominant in our American uh, psyche right now. And with Trump leading, leading the nation with his... Um, propaganda, and then we have the politi political dimension, which uh, is the second level of democracy, and then following that is the third, the spiritual, religious or spiritual. Um, so I do think there's competing myths, and I think that it's unclear what the future holds. I'm optimistic. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, my book is, is optimistic and yet at the same time I, I'm not overly optimistic because of the fact that pessimism has to be held in equal balance uh, we're having a separation from nature and the animal world right now and the current efforts to revive the ecological base of our existence is one of the uh, competing trends right now uh, that we see in the whole ecological mu movement you know, we're having a, a radical shift from a top-down patriarchal myth that's been dominating our world towards a more horizontal and feminine, earth-based uh, wisdom, you know, of interdependence. And so I think there we have, we, have a, uh, we have a real shift happening. And we see this more in politics now as women are entering more and more into the the dialogue about mm -hmm. the future of America. But the, the religious movement is clearly tending away from fundamentalism toward, and creedal theology towards a, what I call a more unifying spiritual democracy amongst the, the liberals, amongst the progressive, you know, liberal uh, individuals who also have a respect for uh, the earth and the spirit of the earth, uh, nature herself. And this is really what Melville was trying to bring to our awareness in Moby Dick, um, that if, if we don't uh, put a stop to the uh, 
patriarchal uh, tendency towards uh, dictatorship, which Ahab represents in the novel, then the whole ship of America could go down. And um, yet, you know, the sign of hope is Ishmael, uh, the narrator, survives. He survives on the coffin of his his friend, uh, who happens to be a Polynesian whale hunter, a bosom friend. Whom uh, he married. Who he married. He marries. <laughs> Speak about that. That's, yeah. That's really beautiful, the, the way you write about it. time in American that. literature that we have a myth that foresees the emergence of same-sex uh, marriage in, as an equal right. 150 years before we saw it happen in our last decade uh, across the whole United States. So here's Melville uh, mm-hmm. foreseeing something in the American future because of his great visionary gift as a seer. You know, this is really one of those gifts of a shaman that a shaman sees into the future, future possibilities. William James had this gift, and so did Jung in his own way. And so did uh, Swami Vivekananda, who played such a big role in helping William James to find mm-hmm. his own uh, psychology of religion. Uh, William James met Vivekananda twice at Harvard University when Vivekananda was here after the Parliament of World Religion. So Vedanta mm-hmm. played a big role in, in helping to bring forward this, this new spiritual vision uh, to the American collective. And he was right here in California, in Los Angeles and San Francisco. He established the Vedanta Center in San Francisco in 1900. So we see the Eastern ideas coming into America through Emerson, through Melville, Whitman, and then through William James, and via the doorway of a direct disciple of, of Vedanta, uh, which was Vivekananda, who was the direct disciple of Ramakrishna. So these are all individuals who had a deep respect for the feminine, a deep respect for the goddess, a deep respect for the earth, for the mother, and... Um, they were all writing uh, out of this uh, this visionary consciousness of something that's still awaiting us in the future if we can survive this ordeal uh, during this um, fundamentalist kind of um, period that we've been passing through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps um, our... Um the marriage of body and and spirit Mm. may have a lot to do with that Mm -hmm. and and a um, shift in our um, in our sexual inhibitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like you to talk about homoerotics if you wish. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is um, something that I don't think uh, we've given enough uh, credit to the American poets for, because uh, Walt Whitman, uh, you know, who wrote Leaves of Grass in 1855, he was really 
speaking of the soul and the body as being equals, uh, uh, the, the soul and the body are one. The spirit and the body are one. I mean, in Whitman's uh, uh, writings, and he doesn't leave sex out. When he talked to Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., about the 1860 uh, edition of Leaves of Grass, Emerson encouraged him to take the sex out of Leaves of Grass. And uh, uh, Whitman just listened to the whole sermon, and quietly he listened to a voice within him that just said no. And his courage, his integrity to, to stand forth for his own values and his own principles there's also what we see in Melville and Moby Dick, that he had the courage to put a same-sex marriage in uh, Chapter 10 of Moby Dick, mm-hmm. A Bosom Friend. There's something about these American poets you see that anticipated the whole opening of the unconscious and what would become Freud's great gift to modern psychology, which is liberation of the sexual instinct and of sexual desire and of eros, a love. And Freud, of course, deserves great credit for his, his breakthrough and uh, in psychoanalysis. It's unfortunate he and Jung couldn't have worked together more closely to really unite a modern psychology more and create more of a union of the spirit and soul and body um, in, in a more general psychology. But it's all there, Joanna. It's all there in the yes. in, in the, the early writings of the American poets. Talk to us about uh, yourself as a poet, your own poetry, and perhaps you would do us the pleasure of reading some of your poetry. That's that's surprising. That's that's quite an invitation. Um, I mean, you are a poet. uh, My poetry is is largely unpublished. I I, I love to write poetry. I have been writing poetry prolifically since since my work under William Everson. Most of it's in journals. I've done most of my publishing about American poetry, um, but haven't published too much of my poetry. There's a few poems that I published in the um, second edition of uh, my book, The Shaman's Call. Let me just read you one. Yes, it's called the, uh, I would the, love that. The Shaman's Call. It's, it's called Shaman's Call. Listen, do you want to find your place in the world as a thinker, poet, and writer? Do you want to experience the immortality of the earth, the stars, and the sun? Do you want to feel yourself vital, alive, and whole? Then follow the shaman's call. Give up your attachment to the ego. Give back the mantle bequeathed to you in dream. Give it back to the old, great man-woman, the shaman within who lent it to you. Surrender, subordinate yourself to the archetype. Respond, answer. That's one poem. Mm. Mm-hmm. Another poem. I'll, yes. I'll do one more. Yes, please. It's called I Shamanize. I drum myself into the spirit world. 
I encounter the cosmic rhythms. Vision upon vision enters into me. Snake is my spirit guide. I shamanize. Trance and consciousness are upon me. I roam this house in an ecstasy. Shamanide, I see. Mm. There's a couple of poems there. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I've, I've never said this to anybody I've interviewed, but uh, I, I, I see something about you. Can I, can I say that sure. what it is? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I see that you've studied this American mythology mm-hmm. with great uh, thoroughness and tenderness and appreciation of the ecstasy that is being translated. And I, I think that you are going to write one of your own that's going to be extremely helpful, mm. uh, just like these other stories have been. I'm not saying that the books you have written are not... Uh, are not that already, but I think you're going to write something that is going to really move us along on uh, in our mythological, our mythopoetic stories. Well, that's a, a, an honor to hear that, and I, I really appreciate you saying that, Joanna. I uh, I hope that that's true, and I trust that you have you you have the intuition. To see something in in many of us. Uh, that... yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm getting on. I'm getting on. <laughs> and uh... well, clearly, you've developed some uh, some very high high uh, functions um, in yourself, and and um, given all your experiences in life. Um... Yeah, just uh, reading reading um, this particular book. Uh, I, I, I sense, uh, I sense a love of, uh, of America that is so needed right now. No. Uh, yes, and that's see? probably why I felt so moved and called to write these books at this time in history. I, it really was sparked by a number of uh, outer events. Um, beginning with the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, mm-hmm. and then a yeah, very sad and tragic story there with the you know the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who were killed and you know during the Bush administration and then seeing you know um, what's happened recently with with uh, the current economic uh, cloud that has just taken over our country and and um, the fundamentalism but the, the ray of hope was during the Arab Spring when I, I was giving a talk at uh, uh, the International House at UC Berkeley on Walt Whitman's vision of spiritual democracy. And I just, on national television that morning before the talk, I witnessed the dancing and celebration in the streets. And, and uh, it was just uh, liberating. It was a, I felt some kind of lifting, uh, a lightness of spirit that something was happening in the in the collective psyche that, um, of course, we saw what happened afterwards, and the return of, you know, oppressive regimes, but 
it certainly evoked the hope uh, that uh, America, you know, uh, democracy, it's a power that, that really has a life of its own. And, and uh, yeah, um, the, bat- the battle's not over yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> and maybe it can become a walk in the woods, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's better than a battle. That's a, a, friend, a walk of friendship and, yeah, spiritual communion. Jose wants me to ask you a question about the blue lady. Yes. <clears throat> oh, the blue lady. You yes. mean the, uh, dr- the dream of the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the um, spiral galaxy woman that I dreamt about... Uh, well, I was in in the middle of beginning to conceive of this work. Well, that that really came to me as I was uh, uh, waiting for the books by Alexander von Humboldt to arrive at my door. The mm-hmm. Cosmos, which so influenced Emerson, which so influenced Whitman and Melville and Dickinson. You know that great uh, German naturalist and geologist who did so much to bring an awareness of spiritual democracy to America, really, in his own right. And here I had this dream of this um, woman who was sitting across from me in a chair, and I was looking at her, and and uh, she had the body of a woman, but this uh, her, her whole head and her eyes and everything, it was a spiral galaxy. And I, a blue kind of radiance was emanating from this presence, and it, it really, I felt like the cosmos was, was speaking to me in silence as I gazed at her. I, I think that that kind of, uh, of a vision is what influences people when we are in nature, when we're walking in nature. Uh, if we open ourselves up to you know, to the voices in the woods. Um, sometimes these experiences happen to us, and oftentimes they have something to do with our personal destiny. Hmm. Beautiful. Hmm. Maybe you'll paint her. Uh, if I was William Blake, I, I think I could do it. I, um, I may give it a shot, Joanna, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about dreams. You mean yeah. you are you are an expert? Well, you know I've learned a lot from Jung, and I learned a lot from my teacher William Everson about vocational dreams, and that certainly was one of those vocational dreams that that come to us at key moments in time. And where they come from is a mystery. Why they come? But when the when they do, we really need to try and understand them. And that's really where Jung came in. He was the great dream interpreter of the 21st century. Do you want to... Well, juicy, juicy chapters, but um, do you want to speak about the ten ten ways to practice spiritual democracy? That's that's an important um, way to... um, make it personal for for listeners and readers of my book because we all want ways to try and bring this into our own personal experience um, to find peace within ourselves. Um, One is to follow your conscience. 
conscience being that small inner voice within that speaks to us. Two is immerse ourselves in nature, um, as you're saying. Let's go for a walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. Practice vocalism is number three. Vocalism is what Walt Whitman uh, spoke of as the divine power to speak words, which is latent within all of us. We just have to find techniques and methods to tap into it, and we can all do that um, in our own ways. Four is watch your dreams. You know, Jung believed that intuition and dream work is the way in. He really gave us that that uh, message in his, in his writings. Five is practice uh, tolerance, tolerance towards all other religions other than our own personal uh, creed, and certainly that is uh, an antidote to fundamentalism. Be mindful of judgments. I mean, this is basically mindfulness practice that has to do with, you know, uh, being mindful of our own shadow. And... Um, <clears throat> We can all practice that in our own ways. Beware of projections. I mean, that's basic Hindu teaching, yogic principles. You know, uh, Maya is the spinstress of illusion. When we withdraw our projections, we realize the self within, the Atman. Consider a change in cultural attitudes. Joseph Henderson developed this concept of five basic cultural attitudes, the social, the aesthetic, the religious, and the philosophical. In addition to those four, he added a fifth. He called it the psychological. So we can consider a shift in any of those cultural attitudes um, within ourselves. In my book, I add five more to the mix. Number nine is speak up. So often we lack the courage to speak up for our truest and deepest values. Oftentimes because of our you know, upbringing, our voice is not encouraged. Um, we're silenced. Uh, by elders, and um, mentors sometimes can help free that up, and reading a great spiritual text can do that. Recently, I've been reading Swami Vivekananda's complete works, and that's that's an example of somebody who didn't hold his voice down at all. Introduce others to spiritual democracy, that's number 10, and by that I mean... Bring in playfulness, creativity, laughter into our experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you were talking about that earlier, Joanna. So, yes. playfulness. Playfulness. Not Maybe playfulness <laughs> is what's so needed in this American culture. <laughs> yes, it really is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. We need to play and to remember the child in us. Absolutely. Who is eternally at play, and, and that's the archetype of the child within. And that's really where, to get back to your question, where I um, can say that I, I share that value you referred to in Whitman about being in love with America, because I was born in Carmel, California, so oh, I really beautiful. fell in love with California, with, with uh, the Pacific. And, totally beautiful. Oh, it was yes. amazing, stunning. So, um, well, it's been a delight. Yes, with you. it's been a delight. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, I understand that uh, you are willing to return to play with us. Uh, I would love to. I, I'm, I'm, I feel uh, honored, and uh, I look forward to our next, uh, our next session of, uh, of uh, play together. Okay, terrific. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thank you.